Stone Chats, Small Talks About Homeschooling, presented by Wildwood Curriculum, a Charlotte Mason education for all. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Stone Chats. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit more about music. I'm Jennifer Gaiman, one of the co-creators of the Wildwood Curriculum, and I'm here with uh, Marjorie Lang. I am also one of the creators. We are here with Miriam and Crystal Hosea. Miriam is uh, helped us a lot with Form 1, and she is a regular on our podcast with us. And Crystal is the author and creator of a singing-slash-music curriculum called Legends of the Staff of Music. So, Crystal, hello. That is correct. Can you tell Hi. us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I've been studying music for my entire life. I started with piano, and then I actually auditioned for a performing arts high school on a dare. Um, I was hanging out with some friends, and they dared me to audition because I'd never auditioned for anything really before. And I auditioned as a singer and then got accepted, which was a big surprise to me. And then there, really discovered um, a love for music as a form of communication and not just – even though I had wonderful teachers for piano – um, it was still the study of an instrument. When I got there, that's when I really started to connect to music in a, a much deeper way. And so then I went to college and I studied music and specifically studied choral vocal studies, um, which is the study of the voice and study of how to teach music through singing. And then went on to teach in the classroom. I taught elementary music. I taught high school music. I taught private voice lessons. I directed after school choirs and just really, really enjoyed classroom music. And then um, when I had my children, then I realized that I wanted to find a way to bring music to them in the homeschool setting that was connected to that sort of deeper musical connection. Um, But in the homeschool setting, everything that I was finding was more geared towards the classroom. And so I kind of took my love of literature and my love of music and put them together and that now I have this this new product that I'm still it's still ever evolving and which is Legends of the Staff of Music, which is um, they're music lessons that are based on books that I've been writing in which the musical concepts are hidden in the storylines and it is almost completely based on singing. Um, some of the things that I'm writing now kind of incorporate a little bit of percussion, which but like homemade percussion, um, but basically no need to purchase instruments, but kind of explore music in a holistic way um, through singing and through movement and just through connection. That's my hope. That's what I'm trying to create. (laughs) That's wonderful. Um, We had Rihanna on a few episodes ago, and she talked about Solfa and uh, Charlotte Mason's progression specifically. Now, we're not going to be talking about that as such today because Crystal does not come from a Charlotte Mason background. She comes more from a Waldorf background. But as you probably know, you, our listeners, probably know, we consider Waldorf and Charlotte Mason to have a lot of the same um, foundations. They are very similar, especially in the early years, though they do deviate with how they are applied as the children get older. But we're just going to talk with Crystal today about all sorts of things, bringing music to your children. And so the first thing I want to ask is, how do you bring singing to your children if you are not a confident singer yourself? Um, you know, that's interesting because that does happen a lot. Um, for one reason or another, people kind of convince themselves that they're not a good singer. Um, and I think to, to think of how to bring music to your kids, it starts with your own self. And so if you're not feeling confident as a singer, kind of examining why that is, um, is it from criticism from others? Did somebody tell you at some point that you're not a good singer and that you shouldn't be singing in front of people? Or is it self-criticism? Is it something that just you're in your own head? And unfortunately, with popular music, it's more performance-based. And so we we convince ourselves that if we don't sound like that, then we're not a good singer. And we shouldn't be singing in front of other people, especially singing in front of our children. And I just haven't found that to be true. I love singing as a form of connection. I love that it's, especially when you're singing with your children at home, a lot of times there's a lot of really wonderful eye contact that happens. And I don't know, I think 
embracing your own, own instrument for the beauty, the beauty that it is, is really empowering. And I, I like to, I think I said this in the other podcast, I like to compare it to violins where you can have, you know, a Stradivarius or you could have a student violin. And if you have someone like Isaac Perlman and you give him a student violin, he could still make it sound beautiful. It doesn't matter that it's just a student instrument. Whereas, yes, if he plays on a Stradivarius, it's going to be on a different level. And people are born with different instruments. There are people that are born with a more refined instrument from the get-go, but it doesn't mean that you can't make beautiful music with any instrument. So it's important to embrace your instrument for what it is, find your own confidence, and then bring that to your child. Because kids are are wonderful gauges for when we are not authentic. (laughs) And they'll let us know if they're picking up on we're not feeling it. So finding your own confidence, examining your own self, if that makes sense, like not so much focusing on your child and your confidence to bring it to your child, but just finding your own confidence, period, in your own voice and embracing your instrument for what it is. So if you feel like you sing off key all the time, obviously not you, Crystal, but mm-hmm. you as in general you. <laughs> I have my days. <laughs> so, so should you still sing to your child? Should you still, still sing with your yes. children and to them or will you be teaching them yes. to sing off key? Yes, you should definitely sing with your children. I had to look it up because I remember it was really small. Only about 5% of the entire world's population are truly what we'd call tone deaf. The rest of the people that call themselves tone deaf are just not so familiar with their voice. And I like, I hope my mom's not embarrassed by this. She's not easily embarrassed. So I like to talk about my mom because we joke and she will be the first person to tell you that she is not a phenomenal singer. She's not. And she she sounds like Lucy from I Love Lucy, how she sings on the show. She was actually a wonderful singer, but on the show, how I Love Lucy sings. My mom sounds like that for real when she's actually trying to sing. <laughs> um, and her name is Carmen, which means song, which is kind of ironic. But she has such a passion for singing and she has such a passion for music and such a a joy. And anytime that she sings, she's just filled with joy. And I think that I got that from my mom more than anything else. I'm a professional singer. People pay me to sing. So if my mom can raise me, then I think all of y'all are going to be just fine. (laughs) I think what you said there is really important. It's about passion more than it is about skill. And if you have a real passion for something, you can pass on that because skill is something that we can learn at any time, but passion is something that comes from inside. Mm Mm-hmm. And I love what you said about connection, that connection with your kids while you're singing. Not only do you have that eye contact, yeah. but you're making memories with them, right? That's one of my daughters, my older daughter. She's 22 now. That's one of her, her best memories of growing up is singing together. And then I have that same, Aww, those same memories. Yeah, I have that, those same memories with my family because my mom and dad sang all the time also. And we just, we sang. I didn't know that people don't necessarily sing as a family because this is just what we did. So that's another thing there is mm-hmm. how do you incorporate singing into your day rather than just having it be a lesson time? How do you make it part of your, of your day? I think that's it's more so with the littler ones, uh, with your teenagers, they might give you the side eye if you try to sing throughout your day. <laughs> so more so with the younger children and then getting into like the, the middle, the tween ages, they still might be a little bit more receptive to just kind of incorporating singing into your day-to-day tasks. Work songs are wonderful. The cleanup songs are singing about what you're doing, taking melodies that you're familiar with and changing the words to... Uh, reflect the the task that you're doing. Work songs are great because like my daughter, is, she's super duper serious. And so when I would do things like that, she would kind of look at me like I was crazy, but eventually she would kind of join in. And my husband's actually really good at that. He would take songs and like change the words. And it's so silly, especially to see your dad like being silly and like singing random songs. It's really fun to incorporate into your day. But it's not, I mean, there, there shouldn't be the expectation to be Mary Poppins. Like if you're Mary Poppins and you're my hero and I'd like to be like you, but I'm not. So finding something to focus on for a little bit, like maybe it's singing about your tasks. Maybe that's what you're just going to focus on. So finding a couple times throughout the day to kind of motivate through music. 
but not you're not singing about everything. There shouldn't be that expectation. Um, sometimes when you get the books and you're looking at all the various songs that, to sing and folk songs and children's songs, it almost makes you feel like you should be singing all the time. And if you do, then that's wonderful. But do find at least a couple times to, to incorporate music into your day. And if you do do a circle time, we didn't find it very effective. I'm homeschooling. I have three children, but one in the home. And she's the one that I'm homeschooling. And I found that the circle time at home was kind of awkward. It didn't quite work. And she's she doesn't hide her feelings very well. So she would kind of sit down on the floor and then fall backwards. Oh, gosh. When I would start to sing with her. <laughs> so she just wasn't really feeling it. So I found that I could still get her to join in with me, A, if I kept it short, just a couple songs and then be done with it. Don't try to get a whole like mess of songs in like you would with a classroom. Music at home is very different than the classroom and you can't expect the same sort of methods to work at home, especially if you're, you have only one. And the other thing was um, I would call her with a song. So she would be doing her thing, like she would have breakfast and she'd be playing and doing her thing. And then I would go to where we were going to be having our lesson and I would just start singing. Let us sing together, let us sing together, one and all a joyous song. Let us sing together. And I just keep singing. And from where she was, she would hear me and then she'd just kind of sneak in. And eventually, by the time I got to the end of the song, she'd be sitting with me. And then we would begin. But keep it short. Too much is too much and kids will let you know like I said they're pretty good gauges for when we're not being authentic but another thing that I found is the car is a great place to sing with your kids because you're probably listening to music anyways turn it off and just sing and the best thing is that they're strapped in so they can't go anywhere so they have to listen to you and if they want to sing with you fine but they have to at least listen to you (laughs) I love that there's, there's plenty of opportunities to bring music today We used to do that. We used to have a six-hour drive to get to my grandma's house. And, of course, this was before iPads and the handheld a lot, the electronics and such. So we used to do that. We would sing Mm -hmm. on our trips. But you said that singing throughout your day is better for the little ones than for the teenagers. But I would say that I actually found it easier to sing with my teenager than I do with my little one because my teenager would join in. Whereas my little one, not always. Mm. She doesn't know the songs <laughs> as well. But with my little one, we're doing more more the nursery rhyme type songs. And she does join in on those. Right. But the longer folk songs, she just doesn't know she doesn't know the words to them as well. So when my right. older daughter was a teen, we would sing a lot of times while we're doing chores. So we would sing while we were doing dishes. We would sing while we were cleaning up. Now, when I was growing up, my mom, we used to, we lived off grid. So my mom's, my mom was a back to the land type person way back in the eighties. And we lived without, um, we didn't have running water until I was in eighth grade. Actually, we didn't have hot running water until I was in 10th. We heated oh. entirely with wood. Um, so I grew up like this, right? Really, we had electricity, but the power went out a lot during summer storms. So a lot of times we would have lamps in the dark and that's, that's not completely relevant to what we're talking about, but <laughs> the point being is we didn't have, we didn't have TV. You know, we got one channel. We were very rural. So we didn't have TV. We didn't really have radio. I think we got maybe one or two radio stations. My mom didn't really like those. So when we were doing our work around the house and our work um, bringing in wood, we used to have to move the wood piles. I have no idea why we had to move the wood piles. But every couple of weeks, my dad would say, oh, it's time to move the wood piles. I never figured out if that was just to make us work. Or if that, if there was actually a purpose to it, but we sang while we were moving the wood piles. So we didn't learn folk songs. This is another thing that I wanted to talk about. I didn't know folk songs growing up. My dad grew up in the 40s, 30s and 40s. He was born in 19, sometime in the 1920s. And so he grew up in the 30s and 40s. And I learned music from that era. But in a Charlotte Mason education, we tend to do folk songs. 
rather than popular songs. So I'm going to ask you, the first one is, what is the purpose of learning folk songs versus popular songs? And the second is, if you have a preference, personally, which one do you think that we should be learning? Good question. Folk songs are, they're a part of history, and they are oral history. Um, Typically, when you're learning a folk song, you're not looking at a piece of sheet music and learning it from the sheet music. You're learning it what's called by rote, which means that I'm going to sing it, you sing it back to me, then we sing it together. You're going to learn it by ear. And usually the subject matter of the songs uh, talks about different times, talks about the history of your culture. And folk song, there are folk songs in every culture. It's not just the ones that you encounter quite a bit that are usually from like the UK or American folk songs. Whatever your background, there are folk songs from your culture. And it's kind of fun to to find the ones from that speak to you, that speak to your family. There's a great website, uh, Mama Lisa's World, and I, I'd have to look it up, but I think it's www.mamalisa.com or .org, um, but it's called Mama Lisa's World, if you Google Mama Lisa's World, and it has folk songs from all around the world. I love that site. I love to reference it, and a lot of times there will be a recording of the song, so they'll have the lyrics to the song, a little bit of the history, the region it's from, And then not all the time, but often there will be a recording of someone singing it. So you yourself can learn it by rote. So I think having folk songs is a a connection to our past, a connection to our family that maybe we haven't met, met our ancestors, or even a place that if you happen to be coming from another country into a new country, a way to connect to the new country where you live. And folk songs, they're usually very easy to sing and kind of sit in a nice place in the voice. The range is not extensive to where if you are, you know, daunted by these pop, a lot of the popular music. Like Again, like I said, popular music is, it's a performance art. People do sing along, but it's not really, the songs that you hear on the radio are not really supposed to be for a sing-along. It's for you to sit and listen and be in awe of this hopefully amazing singer. <laughs> Um, but folk songs tend to sit in a nice, comfortable range in the voice, and the melodies are very catchy and very repetitive. So they lend themselves really, really well to singing with your children and being able to learn the songs quickly. So I think folk songs are good for connecting to the history and then also for connecting to your children because they're so easy to sing. Now, as far as which ones I like better, <laughs> I think that's re- that's like asking a chef what's their favorite kind of food. I like it all. I, I do love folk songs and I do sing folk songs um, with my kids, but I also love popular music and quality because I can find a quality song within pretty much every genre. There's some that are hard. Death metal is kind of hard, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure if I really, really tried really hard, I could find a death metal song. I actually had a student one time who wanted to learn how to sing like Steven Tyler, but he sang death metal otherwise. And he actually had a really beautiful, I got him to sing jazz. Hi. (laughs) But I think for my family, the popular music tends to be maybe different than the general popular music. We listen to a lot of jazz. We listen to a lot of reggae. But then I grew up with, you know, R&B and hip hop. And we called it alternative at the time. I don't know what it's called now. I like popular music. And that's, it, that's also a way to connect with your children because if you don't love it, they're not going to love it either. So if you're trying to sing folk songs and you don't connect to them, then that's kind of not, it's, it's not really going to work. So you, you have to find the ones that you do love because there's so many out there and I'm sure you can find folk songs that you do love. But if you're at that time having a difficulty find, finding folk songs that you do connect with, there, I don't think that there's anything wrong with finding a popular song that you love that you can sing and singing it with your child, because at the end of the day, it's all about being present with them and connecting with them through music. Because to me, music is so much deeper than just music. It's it's profound. It's energetic. It's spiritual. It's one of the most wonderful things in my life. <laughs> I'm a big promoted, uh, proponent of using um, modern music as well. I think that a lot of the songs that became folk songs are often we discount, you know, like anything after 1940, somehow we discount. But I think that there's a lot of modern music that is representative of folk songs now. And you can go to sporting events and the entire arena will break out singing. Um, I don't go to sporting events, but... (laughs) But, you know, there are songs that large groups of people 
Me up to the ball game. There we go. Yeah. There are there are um, songs. That, um, <laughs> the ball game is from the 20s, I think. Um, I'm thinking more of like some of that. There's yeah. a roll song. That so we have, we've had a great big hockey thing here. It's the Stanley Cup. And everybody starts uh, doing this uh, stamp, stamp, clap, stamp, stamp, clap. And it's from a rock song. And if I remember it by the end. Oh, we, we will rock you. We will rock you. From right? Queen. We will rock you is a, it is a yeah song for today right and so I, I think that it you know if people just want to do traditional historical folk songs that's great too but yeah I, I certainly that's how my teens I've got my teens to sing and I'm always impressed with my teens um, eclecticness like they just listen to all genres they listen to all time periods they just really appreciate good music. And I do have a son who has a few death metal songs. So if you want me to send you some quality death metal, <laughs> I can. <laughs> Generally songs I ask to skip over when we're in the car. Oh, this is so loud. And yeah, no. <laughs> but yeah, so there's a way that you can share passion. Yeah, it's impressive what they can do with their voices. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan, I'm afraid. But I do have one child who's a fan. And I try to listen to him when they talk about the skill behind it. And yeah, I know we're being a little controversial here in Charlotte Mason Circle. <laughs> you know, but Charlotte Mason in the PNEU programs, the Parents National Education Union, the programs that she sent out to the homeschools and schools that, that she administered as a correspondence type school, um, those songs she didn't say which songs to sing. She said two English songs or three English songs. Sometimes she would supply a songbook. She would say the national songbook. I think actually that's what it was called, the national songbook, but don't quote me on that. But she left the choices to the families, mm -hmm. right? And we don't know mm -hmm. if the songs that she was saying, the songs in these songbooks were popular music from the time or if these were... Yeah folk songs already had been passed down obviously they had been written at some point right. we don't know if they were new compositions or yeah. if these were collect collections of older songs so we might not be as controversial as we think yeah. we are <laughs> maybe we're just cutting edge Charlotte mason <laughs> that's right that's what we are we're cutting edge or or we maybe controversy isn't necessarily something to shy away from because music has been controversial from the very beginning. I mean, we like to listen to magicals. If you sit and analyze magicals and the subject matter, it's quite naughty, very naughty, but that was the music of the time. And so, you know, music is, I, I love to listen to music through history because it really gives you such a, a people's view of what was happening at the time. And so like I was saying with folk songs, you often get a glimpse into um, the history of, or just history. And look at the, the Ring Around a Rosie is a great example of that. So, I mean, most children know Ring Around a Rosie. If they don't, they should, um, because it's just one of those universal songs that seems like everyone knows. And it's talking about the plague and about people dying and how children kind of, you know, the whistle in the dark, how they sing through this devastating circumstance and still find a way to be a child and to play. You don't necessarily need to get into the whole history of Ring Around Rosie, although with older children, when you get into like the, you know, 10, 11, 12 age, they love that. They think it's fascinating. What? I'm singing about dying. Or is it just my daughter who's super dark when she's a tween? <laughs> They're just starting to realize that the world's not all like butterflies. So when you, you teach them this song when they're little, and to them at the when they're you know four or five six years old it's just going around in a circle and like singing and then they fall down to the ground and what kid doesn't love to just fall on the ground and roll around like crazy but then when they're older then you get to explain to them well you remember the song that we've been singing let me tell you a little bit more about like where the song comes from let's learn a bit about this history and it's just the discovery through something that they already know is just it's amazing. I, that's my favorite part of teaching is when you see that moment of just like their eyes light up like, oh, I never thought of that. You know, like I, I don't like to think of children as empty vessels in which to pour. To me, like the wisdom is already within them and it's our job to awaken it. And I love that with music. I love like Ring Around Rosie was I, I was so excited when I learned what it was about. I thought that was super interesting when I was a kid, when I was a dark tween. 
So that leads right into our next question. What if your child of whatever age is resistant to singing and thinks that it's lame or dumb? And I noticed this especially with that tween age, right? They've, they've, they're too old for the singing that you do with the little kids. And they're looking at mm -hmm. their teenage friends who are only listening to popular music and they think that singing with mom or singing in the house is stupid. I see this with 10 year olds a lot. <laughs> so it's not just mine. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that there does come a point where they, they're a little bit more resistant to that and you know, that's just, it's developmental and you kind of power through, keep on singing. But I have found that the more that you can incorporate movement with children, the more responsive that they will be. I think it's a combination of that just kids are very kinesthetic, period. And then also the the thought of watching their parent dancing like a fool or making silly gestures it kind of reminds them that they are still kids and they are still young and they're not just this like, oh, gosh, mom. Because, you know, I get, I think I, my, daughter, my daughter looks at me more through the side of her eyes than straight on these days. But <laughs> so I think movement is a, a great way to kind of get them engaged. Within the, the music teacher community, there's this term called choreography. And it's basically movements with your body that reflect the songs that you're singing and so when you see a choir and they're all doing this like raising your arms and such that it looks interesting when there's a group doing it but it's also a way to kind of remember the words and to just keep engaged so moving your body with the song that you're singing keeps the kind of like the tween age engaged also i have found a change of scenery for whatever reason maybe whatever the environment is where you're trying to sing with them or to explore music together. They're just not feeling it. Maybe they need to move out. Maybe you guys need to get outside. Maybe it's something about that particular room. Maybe you need to sing in the car. Um, but changing the scenery because maybe it's a sensory thing. Auditoriums are designed with acoustics with hard surfaces on which for sound to bounce off of. And if you think about it, the inside of our homes, most of us don't have carpeted walls. We have hard walls, maybe hardwood floors, maybe tile. And that's a lot of surfaces for sound to bounce off of. And if you happen to have a child who has some sensory um, challenges, then inside your house might be a little overwhelming to be singing. It sounds extra loud. So going outside, you can breathe the fresh air. It's not as confining. It's not as sensory overload. So a change of scenery is also a good idea if your child is being resistant. And then another thing also would be considering the timing. Uh, is it at the beginning of your lesson? Is it in the middle of your lesson? Is it at the end of your lesson? Most people seem to like to start their lesson with music, but maybe your child isn't really ready for that right then. Maybe they need to ease into it more with something else and then maybe end the lesson with music or just like break things up in the middle of your lesson with music. So sometimes the timing could be the, the issue as well. But it, again, it always comes back to examining yourself. Do you love this? Does this speak to you? Um, are you trying to bring something to your child that you're not really feeling yourself? And if that's the case, then they're not going to respond. So always, always, always with everything, I think it's important to look inward first um, and to find things that speak to you so that you're bringing it to your child in a loving way because they're going to respond if they see that it brings you joy. I think also going off of that, you can say, if you don't love it, you can't bring in your children. But there's also the choice of songs that your kids just might not be feeling. So just like yeah. we talked about in the high school podcast that we did and getting buy-in from your kids, sometimes you need to do that when they're younger too. It might not have to wait until they're in high school. If they're younger and they're just being really resistant, try to find songs that go with their interests. So we love Pirates of the Caribbean, the whole series, right? Everybody in my family, we're huge Pirates of the Caribbean fans. And mm -hmm. one way to get a resistant child who loves Pirates of the Caribbean would be maybe learning that song at the Gallows, the Gallows song in, I think it's the third mm -hmm. movie. So you start in with that. And that's not a traditional folk song. That was written for the movie. But you can get those sorts of things because those can be really cool songs. And then 
shift from those into other pirate songs, other pirate shanties. Mm-hmm. There's just do some online searching for it. And then you could go from there into the whaling songs and the sailing songs and really rhythmic. And we had talked about before, Crystal, um, I'm not sure which podcast we did. It might have been our, our private one talking, but there are many of the work mm-hmm. songs were specifically or many of the folk songs were specifically done for working. They have that really rhythmic sense yeah. to it. Do you remember the song yeah. that you told me about? Uh-huh. The spiritual? Yes. Yeah. Um, when I was learning, when I was in school studying music, and we were singing spirituals, and I had a, a wonderful teacher who um, wanted us to understand the history of these songs. And, you know, because a lot of times choirs are going to sing spirituals, it's kind of, you know, okay, you're going to do a piece from um, the Renaissance, and you're going to do a spiritual, and you're going to do a contemporary piece, like they have their list for the concert of what they're going to do. And so people do spirituals, but they don't think about often, because I can't say everybody, there's not as often as there should be a consideration of the context in which these songs were sung. And so the song began with, Hallelujah, Lord, Hallelujah. Yeah, Lord, sing hallelujah. I'm singing hallelujah. That was a tenor part. I can't quite hit the notes. (laughs) But she said, you know, when when you guys are singing that part, they weren't just singing this. They were digging or they were hammering or pushing, pulling. There was physical work that was happening at the same time. So if you're going to sing that, you have to feel that. Like if they were hamming, hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, Lord, sing hallelujah. I'm singing hallelujah. You feel the rhythm of the work that was happening at the same time. So with these work songs that we sing with our children, maybe you're not hammering. (laughs) Maybe you're not building a railroad. Maybe you're not digging an entire field, but you're doing work with your body that is very rhythmic. And so the songs do lend themselves really well to the physical work that you are working, um, that you are doing with your children. So, yeah. And then I think you said... um, There was a John Henry song that you used to sing as a child, and it has a very rhythmic feel to it as well. So you sing that with your children. It it does. If you're singing work songs, then yeah, they definitely lend themselves to to physical work. Cleaning. Yay, clean your your room. (laughs) Sing a song while you're cleaning. (laughs) Cleaning and hammering on the riff. When we're riffing, um, yes, it's just that hammering, right? That rhythmic. So if you're building something in the backyard, if your kids, you can do this while you're doing, while you're doing work. Charlotte Mason uh-huh. in the PNEU program, sometimes she called it handwork, but often she just said work and handwork would be under there. So you'd have knitting and sewing, but you'd also just have regular work, right? Help in house and garden or building wooden toys or my God. So if you are out in the garage or in your backyard and your child is building something with you. Use those songs as that rhythmic thing mm-hmm. so that you, it's not just singing so that they can see where the use of singing comes in, right? It builds, not only builds community, yeah. and builds family memories, but it also makes the work go by faster and it keeps you on that rhythm. And that kind of ties itself back. Yeah, also. it seems like your parents really were really on to like childhood development without even realizing it, Marjorie. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. My dad used Um, to sing in bars when he was four years old. So his, that's how they got through the depression. There were six kids in the family. His, my dad's dad would take all of the six kids into a bar and they would sing and get tips. And that's how they would get dinner for money for, for dinner for the, the week. So I don't think he was really looking at child development. He just, he grew up singing and my mom sang all the time too. And she just said, oh, well, it just makes it go by faster. It just makes the work easier if we're singing. But her parents didn't sing. Nobody else in my mom's family sang. So I I think it just happened. You know, child development is is universal, right? So when we're doing things and they work for our child, we don't necessarily realize why they're working, but it just does because maybe we just accidentally come upon something that's developmentally appropriate. Does that make sense? It seems that your parents were maybe just tapping into that well of wisdom in regards to child development because the when you were saying that you used to move the wood piles from one place to another 
and you didn't know why you were doing it, but you were just doing it. There's um, a school of thought as far as heavy work activities being actually like building synapses in the brain. Um, and they talk about proprioceptive and vestibular and heavy work activities. It's a big part of that. Um, there's a great book called The Well-Balanced Child. And I cannot remember the author's name for the life of me, but she talks a lot about heavy work activities. So your parents were having you do heavy work and you were singing at the same time. So it just seemed like they were, without even realizing it possibly, they were tapped into, oh, this is good for them. I don't know why. They seem to be a lot calmer after they do this. We'll just have them move the wood piles right. again tomorrow. <laughs> right. Miriam? So I'm just sitting here connecting with everything you said because that's been our experience. Um, a lot of times with the hesitance to bring them song, and then I'll notice because we have Jodius as our music teacher, and she sings with us, and she'll ask my daughter to sing, and she'll be to Love Jody. Hi, she's amazing. And I'll, um, I'll be watching her. <laughs> Maybe what's wrong? But then Jody will call on me, and she'll say, "Okay, Mary, I'm using it with her." And I'm, but I do the exact same thing. I'm like, oh, I'm <laughs> as quiet as I can. <laughs> and then the the humor, uh, both of them are huge humor. And a lot of the folk songs are funny. They sang one a few weeks ago. Is there was a man and he had he jumped into a pudding bag, and Jody had us acting out all of these actions, as silly as they were, and they loved <laughs> And we felt goofy, and it's it's a good a good feeling. My husband walks in, <laughs> he just keeps walking. But the kids love. <laughs> Maybe that's what brings them into it fully. I think when I don't feel comfortable, and that's a lot because I don't have a great voice and my rhythm is terrible. But when we get to the goofy stage, which they love, it makes you forget. Because when you're being goofy, <laughs> and some of these songs are wonderfully silly. It lends to that experience so much. Mm -hmm. Right. I think people, as as often as people say that they're, I'm not a good singer, I can't sing, fill in the blank with all the other, you know, similar phrases, people say the same thing about dancing. And we forget that that's just, that's what humans do. We sing, we dance. It's It's our way of connecting with each other and connecting to something greater. You're hard pressed to find any culture all around the world where people don't sing or dance. It's just part of who we are. But somewhere along the line, there is this little voice that seems to get into people's heads of convincing them that they can't sing and they can't dance. When it's not, I think there's just this expectation to be a professional singer, a professional dancer, as far as the quality of what they're doing, when really it's just experiencing music, you know, through just, you have to get it out, you have to sing, or you have no other way, then you just have to move your body and don't don't analyze what that is. Don't hyperanalyze it, but just be present and just enjoy it because it's just it's such a profound way to connect with other humans and even animals. Um, we live on a ranch and we have lots and lots of different kinds of animals. And I sing to our horses. I'm sure if I was caught on camera, I would be ridiculous and on some sort of hidden camera TV show where people would laugh at me because I'm constantly singing to our horses. But they respond and they come and they start to sway. And it's just really beautiful. Music is a, a, an amazing way to connect, I guess, to other sentient beings, especially other humans and especially our children. If we could just get out of our heads as far as like considering ourselves as being good or bad and just do it, just experience it and enjoy it. Do you have any information on brain development with the singing? What, what do you mean as far as how like, it affects brain development? Yeah. Does it, so one of the things that I was thinking recently was um, my daughter is having a really difficult time with learning to read. And now we have a lot of dyslexia in my family or in her with, uh, she has a brother and a sister who are both dyslexic and my sister probably is. And my husband has a lot of trouble with reading and spelling also. So this, she definitely has a family history of this, but I've started mm -hmm. doing a phonemic awareness program called from sightreading.com. And one mm -hmm. of the things that it has the kids do, it's very incremental, really tiny, tiny baby steps, is lots of rhyming and then also breaking the words down into syllables before you even start blending. There's breaking the words down. So I was thinking while we're doing, while we're singing, when we stomp our feet, 
to some of the songs to the beat or we go around the house marching while we're singing. That's great support for future syllable work, right? For reading. And Jennifer and I have talked about how we can support the math portion of the brain without specifically doing math. And I was thinking, oh, so the singing like this and developing that rhythm probably supports the reading portion of the brain without actually doing reading activities. And then you were talking about the um, brain, the development, and I thought of that. And I wondered if you had any other bits of of how singing supports brain development or neural connections, or maybe Jennifer does. Yeah, there are studies that show that uh, singing itself increases language and vocabulary. There are some studies that also shows that it increases some cognitive skill ability uh, better than sports or drama or art. Um, It's also linked to like when you look at uh, play, because it's often linked to play when we do it in a in a play mode, it's priming uh, neural networks in various parts of the brain, right? So it's accessing, like when we talk about math, one of the things that children need to be able to do is access a whole bunch of parts of the brain simultaneously. And singing does that because we store language and music in different parts of the brain. And so since we're engaging different parts of the brain, we're laying this neural network down. So it's good for your brain. Yeah. And the movement too, like you were saying, Marjorie, that not just singing, but movement while doing it. Um, when my before my daughter started to to read, we would do these things called her reading brain exercises. Because in all my various googling uh, that all us homeschool moms do to try to figure out how can I like meet my child with what they need and present information to the way that's going to speak to them the most, I came across the whole proprioceptive and vestibular exercises, physical exercises. I came across the crossing the midline and how by actual physical activities that across the midline of the body, actually connect the different hemispheres of the brain. Another way that you're crossing the midline is when your kids are walking on a balance beam. And so if you have a pre-reading child, so if you have a child from the age of like four to seven, to 12, you you come across a curb, (laughs) how many of you, yeah, but, but if you're like walking around and there's a curb, they're drawn to that like a magnet. They can't even help themselves. They have to walk on that curve. They have to walk that like balance beam. So it's almost like they, they innately know that they need that. They don't know why they need that, but they, I need to, to cross the midline of my body. And there's this curve and I could walk on it and cross the midline. And so we would do stuff like that. And we would call it our reading brain exercises because some, there's so much pressure on children to read that I feel like we feel that, especially as homeschoolers, because I think the homeschooling community is a little bit more embracing of the letting the child figure out how to read in their own time. But there's always pressure, outside pressure come, coming from, you know, relatives and people that we know of like, why aren't they reading when they are five years old? They're doing that in school. So I think I felt that with my daughter. And so I didn't want to pass that on to her. I'm sure I still did because I'm flawed and I'm a human being. But um when I came across the the reading brain exercises, I'm like, let's do our reading brain exercises. It wasn't actually sitting down trying to read, so it wasn't frustrating for her, but I felt good because I felt like I was still activating the same parts of the brain that she would be using when reading, but just through physical exercises. So yeah, I, I think singing and movement are great ways to um, kind of lay the, the groundwork for reading and reading comprehension and I don't know if I have all the, the information as far as like studies and, and whatnot off the top of my head, but I love jumping down them rabbit holes and Googling and then sifting and then finding the information. And I'm sure if you got your Google on, you would find all sorts of information about singing and movement and them being precursors to, to reading. So in your curriculum, and we're using it this year, and it's one of my daughter's favorite times of the day, but you incorporate a lot of art Yay. into it right? With the basic mm-hmm. music things. Why did you incorporate art into the music curriculum? Um, I think with everything that we have done in our own homeschool, um, I like to come from different places and reinforce it through ways that might not be the first thing that you think of. Um, you don't think it's related, but because art is very tactile and visual, if you're incorporating music into the creation of art, then it's reinforcing concepts that you have already learned in an unconventional way. And again, I guess I'm just that weird little like hippie girl, but like it's to me, it's a connection. And so art is another way that we're connecting to each other into something greater. So it's just kind of 
bringing it all together in a way that you wouldn't expect. So you're still exploring a musical concept, but in a way that's not necessarily musical, um, much in the same way that you might use music to memorize historical facts. You're really doing history, but you're doing it through music. I feel like there's there could be a way to reinforce musical concepts, but through art. And my daughter loved it. <laughs> Mine does too. We still have the high-low, the um, petals. that We made the flower picture mm-hmm. of the high and low. We made mm-hmm. a video of her singing the the high and low, leaves from up high, flowers from down low. She loved that. <laughs> That's amazing. I tried, to, when I was looking for art activities too, I'm not, and everybody has their style and I never want to knock anybody's style because you have to do what works for you and your child and only you know what that is and what speaks to you. But I don't really like just crafty things that then I don't know what to do with, like, it's fun in the moment. And then I just, I feel like I, maybe it's the minimalist in me. I feel like I have all this clutter. So I tried to, hopefully I was successful. I tried to find art projects that would be meaningful and that you would want to keep and that maybe the child would want to display. Um, and not just a bunch of, of clutter. Cause I mean, art, art for art's sake is wonderful, but I got a little house. <laughs> it's teeny tiny. Right. Jennifer, did you have anything more to add? No, I'm, I, I want to go sing now. <laughs> I love singing. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Did you have anything else? No, I think I, I'm looking forward to so this year. We ended up dropping curriculum crystal just because of many other things to Jody. But I'm hoping mm-hmm. to re-begin it over the summer. I'm very motivated. We have it and I want to do it. <laughs> Yay! So, and also your... That your would be group. wonderful. There are a lot of really great other curriculums out there. Um, I think that maybe that's just because I'm an artist and so there's, I want to support other artists, but I, I, I feel very inspired and motivated with what I'm creating. But if it, if what, if my products don't speak to someone, then they should still definitely look into other things. There's so many wonderful people that are trying to reach the homeschooling community in different ways. And there's, there's actually been a pretty big influx with music. And so it's pretty exciting. Um, at the end of the day, I'm hoping that people just you know, connect with their children and explore music together. And however they get there, then the world's a better place. <laughs> we ended up actually going back and we had begun your curriculum last year. And then we went back and did your early years one, actually, mm-hmm. because I, we, I looked through and I loved it so much. And they love that. Um, and you, you offer that one. For yeah, that one I had, I had written it. And then there just came a day that um, I live in Southern California and we're in the desert, and my daughter calls it the pie. Like, we're in the middle of the pie, and you can see all of the crest, because you could see all of the different mountain ranges all around us. And um, last year, we had all of these wildfires all around us, and it was looking like Armageddon. Like, there was all these plumes of smoke, and you could see it from where we live. You could see multiple plumes of smoke all around us. And then, you know, there were people that I knew that were affected, and... I don't know, something like stirred inside of me where I was like, I don't, I can't, I felt so helpless. I felt like I couldn't do anything. And so I thought, well, I have this that was created through me. And if this can help people to connect and to, to find beauty in the midst of tragedy, then I'm happy about that. It just didn't feel right to charge for it anymore. I hope that people are finding it and being inspired by it and just using music as a way to heal. That's how that happened because it wasn't always free, but now it is and it will continue to be. I think I'm going to stick with that because music is is a way to connect and, and to heal. I know in my own life, there have been countless times that it has provided healing in the most devastating of circumstances. And that's one of the amazing things because there's many, one of the many, many amazing things about music. What's your web address? crystal so that people can find it the web address for um my curriculum and books is www.staffofmusic.com it's s as in sam t as in tom a f as in fred f as in fred o f as in fred m as in michael u s as in sam i q u e.com so not staff of music. It's staff of music. I've had one too many of those. <laughs> M-U-S-I-Q-U-E is the ending, and it's .com. Yes. Okay. I think mm-hmm. that's a great yes. place to end, and we'll do our Nature Minute. So right now, we 
have dark thunder clouds and I've been hearing thunder outside. So I'm going to write down in my book of firsts that this is the first thunder. And this is actually when some of the planting used to be done. We are going to head into our drought now. We actually might not get any more rain after this. We might get one more rain in May, but we also might not get any more rain until July or August. So everything is starting to dry up, except for some of the really desert adapted plants. We have both desert adapted and we have drought evaders, which drought evaders are plants that can't go through a drought. So they live their entire life cycle in a a few weeks where there's rain. They'll sprout, grow, flower, go to seed and be done all within a really short time period. And then they won't sprout again until our next rain. So all of our drought evaders are now brown and crispy outside. It's such a change just from last week. We saw our first robin this past week, so that's very exciting for us. Lovely. The birds are back. (laughs) The birds are back, yeah. There's a little bit of grass starting to sprout in the backyards. And I noticed that my neighbor's tulips have got about three, four inches of of leaves up above the ground. So, yeah, spring has sprung here. Mm, Lovely. Miriam? We went to the botanical garden this morning and they did a a mini release of some of the butterflies. The grand release is next week, but we got to see a few today. They were lots of monarchs. I'm not sure what they're they're called, but a white and green kids. They were trying to catch them on their fingers and they just didn't want to. They were a little sad. (laughs) Crystal? Um, We're, like I said, we live on a ranch and our ranch is in the middle of the desert. So we joke, but kind of half joke that it's a little bit of an oasis because we have different plants on the ranch than we do in the desert. So I've been watching how around our ranch, the wildflowers are starting to fade. Um, We have this incredible super bloom. Like I said, I'm in Southern California and we're actually quite close to the poppies and they were just breathtakingly spectacular. And they're starting to kind of gradually go to sleep. Um, And on our ranch, all of our flowering trees are now going fully into leaf. The fruitless mulberries are amazing. They're just like these huge umbrellas. And then we actually have a lot on on our ranch of killdeers, which I just found out recently are protected because there was some, what was the sport? They, uh, a sport had a field and some killdeers made a nest on their field and so they weren't allowed to practice because they had to block off the area where the killdeers had their nest because they nest on the ground. And we, we didn't know what they were called for the longest time. We called them beady deeps because they're the way that their chirp is. Beady deep, beady deep. Um, but they're called killdeers. And the, the babies just hatched and they're, they look like little mini versions of the grown ones. And they're so cute because they just run around on the floor and they, they look like almost like pipers, like little sandpipers. They're, they're pretty fun. <laughs> Thank you, Crystal, for coming on. It was so nice to have you. We actually didn't get to quite all of the questions that I had for you. So maybe you'd come on a, on a different day if we have some other reader questions also. Sure. Thank you for having me. Good. We'll call that a wrap right there. <laughs> The music will start and it will end. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Wildwood Curriculum Podcast, Stone Chats. For more information about our free secular and inclusive curriculum based on the works of 19th century educator Charlotte Mason, please visit us at wildwoodcurriculum.org.